This is episode 41 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing with the 2008 Annual Enrichment Conference Catalytic Leadership with Bill Thrall. This is session three, Tuesday night. Before I begin another session, I would like to um, ask you again, uh, what are you hearing? What, what are you hearing this character bill uh, talk to you about? What are you hearing? This brother says he's hearing that we may not have learned how to do grace well. Somebody else, what are you hearing? Trust is the core of relationship. Trust is the core to relationship. Thank you. Somebody else. What are you hearing? Trust is the core, therefore, to our ministry. Thank you. Somebody else. We have to live our theology because the disconnect allows the world to call us hypocrites. You get that, right? You understand that? Somebody else, what are you, what are you hearing? Yes. Uh, you have to earn trust. You, you have to earn trust. You can't assume it. What else? You can't, assume you can't assume your own character. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're too much like the world around us. We're often too much like the very world around us. I'd like you to think about what that statement might say about our theology. Anybody else? Yeah, the ultimate influence of your life comes out of who you are, not what you do. The greatest parents in the world are the parents whose children trust them. Those are the greatest parents in the world. I wanted to talk with you a little bit tonight about environments of grace, but in order to do that, I want to tell you a little bit more about my story. You don't really know me very well. As I mentioned, out of college I was a CPA, and my wife and I went through that experience in which my own life was made known to me through the love of my wife. And God was preparing us for ministry. When I was 19, I believe that God called me into ministry I really believed I was actually going to be a missionary and was planning to go to Peru, but my father took ill and I had to go home and I literally, at 19, got my father's job. And for 10 months, I would bring my paycheck home, give it to my mother, <laughs> it's so cute, and she would give me $10 spending money. <laughs> but I took care of the family. And while we were working as a CPA, Grace and I were heavily involved with youth ministry and 
Campus Crusade for Christ had a ministry called Co-Unibus in those days in which young college students occupied our home on Friday nights and then a Bible study on Monday nights. And this was in the late 60s and the Jesus movement was taking place in California and Arizona is quite close. And the hippie movement was taking place. And this very straight-laced, right-wing Republican nitwit, all of a sudden, we had a house full of hippies. <laughs> and uh, they liked rock and roll music. And guess who didn't? And, um, and God gave us a ministry with street kids. And because Phoenix is warm, there were thousands of them. And we started to see young person after young person come to Christ to where a few became hundreds. And we didn't know what to do exactly with the fruit of our ministry. But one Sunday morning changed our lives. We had sent about 13 to 15 of the new converts to a church that we were familiar with, a large church in Phoenix. And I got there a little bit late and they were in the parking lot crying. And the reason they were crying is because the guys had long hair and the girls, if you remember in those days, were mostly clothed. And, and the elders wouldn't let them in the church. And we went to our home and began a series of weeks and months of pondering whether we should start a church. So the guy you're looking at, young CPA, six months ago I couldn't spell pastor, now I are one. And I don't know if there's a, new, a more naive group of people that ever started a church, but we did. And we realized that it was critical that this environment be a safe place for these young converts to grow up. And God blessed that decision and our ministry grew. Our outreach ministry was called Hand in Hand. And I was the director of an outreach ministry. We bought a large Church of Christ building. The inside of the building was maybe a bit larger than this room. It had patches of carpeting. It had barn coating on the walls with huge murals, outdoor scenes, a huge stage, so our rock and roll bands, and the kids would come in and fill the room. Wall-to-wall -wall humanity every Friday and Saturday night. And that's how our ministry started. I share that with you because in that process we did church and it was an open forum. It's probably why I like to come up and be with you. Because when on Sunday morning I was preaching, they could interrupt me. And they could ask me questions like, what does that mean? What does that have to do with the way we live? What difference will that make 
in my relationship with God? How will that help me grow? Could we stop for a minute, Bill, and could we just pray? As a pastor, I'd like you to try that sometime. It'll really slow your methods down. But it might open the heart of your people to learning. And we did that for, for years. And I was growing up. I was learning some core values about people and ministry. I wanted to share that story with you because tonight I want to talk with you about uh, this idea called an environment of grace. And as I share this with you tonight, I'll go back up here. Maybe I won't tonight. You can see me all right, can't you? Is it all right if I stand down here? Good. I'd like to go to the environments of grace. It's called session number three. And it says that the rails integrate the ladders. You realize, of course, a ladder is just our metaphor. You also realize that the rungs of a ladder without the rails would just be a pile of sticks. So that the strength of the ladder is in its rungs and its rails. Look at the title of the rails. Relationships of Trust and Environments of Grace. On this ladder, I'll hold it up for you, on this ladder, I, I'd like to just have you kind of put a, in the middle of the word humility, just create a triangle from here to environments of grace and back over to relationships of trust and down. So you just kind of have an environment, because those three parts, relationships of trust, environments of grace, and humility are critical to our maturity. They are critical to our maturity. Environments communicate an incredible message. Do you know that the message of the environment is stronger than the message from the pulpit? And when the two do not agree, the one that is the most contrived is the least believed. So that as we think of these environments of grace, we need to see that, as it says here, these rails are often the missing components in many spiritual development programs. Bruce and I are part of a group called TACT, T-A-C-T. TACT means theological and cultural thinkers. We just, two weeks ago, started our sixth year together. We meet twice a year for four days. 26 of us started TACT. There's about 25 of us left. I don't do this to 
do anything but to tell you the size and the scope is people like Dallas Willard are a part of TACT, and Alan Andrews for the Navigators, Steve Hertner from InterVarsity. And we meet together to talk about spiritual formation. In fact, we're actually writing a book together about spiritual formation. At our very first TACT meeting, I was asked to do the first teaching. And I'm not that dumb. I wasn't going to try to teach with those guys in the audience. So what I did is I had everybody write a paper on spiritual formation before they came. And I asked that it be three pages long. Most of them couldn't count. <laughs> they were six, nine, twelve, one was even 22 pages long. I read every one of them. And when we came to the TAC meeting, at our very first session, I said to everybody, I want to do it, ask you a question. Some of you may want to try this, by the way. And I said, you have 90 seconds to answer the question, and I have a stopwatch, and I'll stop you. And here's the question. What has been the single greatest contributor to your spiritual formation? What has been the single greatest contributor to your spiritual formation? Easily 20 of the first 22 responded. Dr. Demaris from Denver Seminary was sitting next to me and he said, Bill, can you hear what, what's going on? I said, definitely can. I called time out. And 20 of the first 22 responders said that the single greatest contributor to their spiritual formation was a key relationship. Now most of us will say, well, that makes sense. Remember those papers I told you about? Nineteen people wrote a paper. Only three of the nineteen papers alluded to relationships being a part of formation. They were great papers on the theology of formation. They just left out the reality of formation. The reality of formation is key people in community. The reality of formation is key people in community. Now I know some of us are going to bite at this, so go ahead, bite back. But Theology without a safe environment does not create formation. It creates a knowledge of theology. So look at what it says here. The rails combine to create a community, another word for environment, a community of grace, where character is developed. So I want to give you another one-liner, okay? Another one-liner. Our character is formed in relationships. 
but it's tested in isolation. And it's tested in isolation. Where trust is built. A community of grace is a place where trust is built. And you could put, is built and restored. It is a place where trust is built and restored. John and Bruce and I and our team use these materials in a number of different ways in a number of different audiences. And the three of us still have conflicts. And say, well, then why are you teaching us? Because it's a place where trust is built and restored. And we get to the last part of this lesson, I'll expand on that. It is a place where truth is free to be told. Where truth has the freedom to be told. You know, we as Christians have abused Ephesians chapter 4, speaking the truth in love. You know, we've abused that. For many Christians, it just means I get to tell you anything I want to tell you. I'm going to slam you as hard as I can. And oh, by the way, I love you, brother. Bad use of that passage. That is not what that means. We forget what follows it. Speaking the truth in love to build up. To build up. I don't know who the rascal is. But somebody added criticism as a spiritual gift. I don't, know, I don't know who did it, but I want to find him. Because many Christians have perfected that gift. That's not what this means. Speaking the truth is to build up. It is not to voice your opinion. Isn't that good to know? Look at this next one. Therefore, life is authentic. We call that true face living, where I get to be authentic. Recently, I got a letter from a man in prison. He was in the prison library and picked up our book, True Faced. And he read it. And he really thanked the Lord for it, so he sent me a very long handwritten letter. And he must have said in the letter ten times, I know you won't respond to me, but. I know you won't respond to me, but. And so I responded to him. And that's how I started the letter. I know you didn't think I'd respond to you, but. You know his great desire? His great desire is to become a man that's authentic. And there's a good chance he's going to learn that in prison. We need a place to learn what it is to be authentic. And it won't happen 
unless others get to speak into who we are. Turn the page. The environment of grace changes our life focus. Now you can barely see it, but under the working on my life issues is a line, and that's kind of to show that arrow. You may want to darken in that line. Trusting who God says I am, there's actually a little line there. You can hardly see it. But I want to tell you why we put that there. Those two arrows, those two lines, are to kind of demonstrate a process called living. And you know, right now, as a Christian, while I'm living, we're going to suggest there are two very critical, critical parts of me. The part of working on my sin and the part of trusting who God says I am. If it helps you under the words, trusting who God says I am, write the word identity. That's your identity. I'm going to pause because I, I'd like you to um, think with me theologically for a minute. I'd like you to really think about what I'm going to say. Working on my sin issues will never lead me to godliness. Working on my sin issues will never lead me to godliness. So that I do not become godly by working from the top line down. It's only when I learn to live out of who God says I am that I am able to deal with my sin issues. God made us new. God is not about changing you and me. He already has. God is about growing us up. The Christian life is not about changing. The Christian life is about maturing. It's learning to live out of who God says I am so I can deal with my sin issues. When I believe that by working on my sin issues, I will become godly, I am trapped in the theology of sin management. And I'll give you a big hint. Sin will not be managed. Sin will not be managed. An environment of grace is a place that is safe enough for me to tell you where I am vulnerable. 
in our church before I became part of Leadership Catalyst, my wife and I and some others started a marriage ministry called A Time for Us. And we had a couple come to the marriage retreat who were in their early 60s. And when they heard some of the teaching I'm sharing with you, they decided that it was time to be honest with each other about what was true in their lives. And to be honest with people who were affected by what was true. Now on the outside, they looked like Mr. and Mrs. Clean. They looked like they had it all together. But on the inside, they had years of unresolved sin. And they chose to be honest about it. First with each other, then with a few of us, then our marriage ministry, and then our church. They came from a church back in the Midwest. And they said to us, it is not safe enough in that church to tell them what you all know. I want to say to us as pastors, if our churches are not environments of grace, they will not be safe enough for people to tell us what is true. And they will act like Mr. and Mrs. Clean, but their lives will be broken. Their lives will be broken. What if I said last night, what if it were actually true? What if the greatest evidence of our righteousness was our love for one another? What if that were actually true? we'd be less paranoid about our sin. Just keep thinking. Something is wrong with our theology. It is a theology of sin management that is making church an unsafe place to be honest about who I really am. And we act like we don't sin. Instead of having a safe place to be honest about where we're vulnerable. Those two lines are really significant. Our identity in Christ is not a someday maybe biblical truth. It is a today reality. I will never be more than who God says I am today. I'll just be more mature. Look at the next little line. How I view me may be the most revealing commentary of my theology. 
I've talked about that a lot with a lot of leaders. I know once in a while we'll get this pushback. No, the greatest commentary of my theology is my view of God. Well, you may believe that. Let me just give you at least my reflection. Your view of you is always a direct reflection of your view of God. Your view of you is always a direct reflection of your view of God. Think about it. Deeply think about it. When I am able to believe who God says I am, it is a reflection of how I view God. Now the qualities of an environment of grace, you should have gotten a handout as you were uh, sitting down. I hope I have one. Is there an extra one? Here, let me just borrow yours. Thanks. And what I'd like to do is, is I can't, obviously, in the few minutes that I have, I'm not going to be able to speak to all of these. But we have addressed these as best we can in our writing. Some of you have seen True Faced, our book, and there's a lot of these principles in the book True Faced. I'm going to sell like a, sound like an author selling his book right now, but our newest book is just now being read by our readers. True Faced is the book in which we introduce the concept of the room of grace, this environment of grace. Our new book is a novel. It's called Bo's Cafe. Safest place on earth. Our new book is about how to live in the room of grace. True Face was to introduce us to that room. Bo's Cafe is to tell us how to live there. We as Christians need to learn how to live in grace. We need to learn how to live in relationships. So these are some principles. You notice the first one says... That an environment of grace is what? Safe, but it's not soft. Sometimes when, when we are teaching this principle of grace, lots of truth people will say that you guys are soft. That's the soft stuff. It, it must be like Paul when he was writing Romans I imagine when Paul was writing Romans, I always see this audience of Judaizers over his shoulder. This audience of Judaizers who kept saying to Paul, oh, you can't put that in Romans. Because if you teach grace, what they're going to do is they're just going to go out and sin like crazy. See, the legalist never understands grace. Grace does not cause us freedom to sin. Grace creates in us freedom to love. Grace is safe, it's not soft. There's a huge difference in that dynamic. 
It's a protecting environment. I don't know Rush, but I'll try to explain this pretty quickly. Control dynamics stand over a man like this to keep him from screwing up too much. And many churches are control environments. They don't want the Christians in their church to screw up too bad because it's a reflection on the church. If they screw up real bad, you kick them out because you're serious about sin. No, what you do is just kick out the ones you have found out. Control stands over. Watch what protection does. Protection stands against. Protection says, I stand alongside my brother because I know him so well, I know where he's vulnerable. And I will stand with him against those things to which he's vulnerable. We need to learn to become each other's protectors. We need to learn that. You'll notice words that I've been using with you are down through this first row. On the second row, it says we're serious about sin. Environments of grace are serious about sin. I know this sounds just like playing with words, but believe it's more than that. Grace environments are the only ones that are serious about sin because they're the only environments that are convinced we have no ability to deal with it. Sin management environments are the ones that are not serious about sin because they believe they can manage it. So I'll give you another one-liner. Whenever we think we are managing sin, you can bank on the fact it is managing us. We're serious about sin. I hate what sin is doing to me. I hate what it's doing to you. I hate to see the brokenness in families. I hate to see what our culture is doing to men. I hate to see what our culture is doing to women. Our environments have to be safe places to deal with the casualties. It's got to be. Or there's no hope for us. That's how serious we have to be about sin. And then one more. See that little word down there called permission? <clears throat> Safe environments are a place where Jim and I, because we trust each other, have learned to give each other permission to speak into each other's lives. I 
I just want to encourage you as a leader, never assume permission. Always ask for it. If you want to say something to somebody, ask for it. Instead of saying, Carol, I got something I really need to tell you. You look at Carol and you say, Carol, may I have permission to tell you something? You always ask for permission with integrity. This is what this means. When you ask for permission, you must be prepared to accept a no. Or you haven't asked with integrity. Can you imagine how much healthier we would be if we just practiced permission? It's so important. So these are just a list of words. I can't go into all of them, but I'd really encourage you to study it and look at the next line. Grace changes how we treat each other and our sin issues. It changes how I see you. Do I see you as a safe sinner? Or do I see you as a saint who sins? Who are you? As a Christian, who are you? I think God would say that you are a saint who sins. It changes everything. If Dick and I see each other as sinners who are saved, then the issues of sin, our sin, will always be between us with the expectation that one of us is going to screw up enough to cost us the relationship. But I want to tell you something. If I see this man as a saint, and he chooses to see me as a saint, then our relationship is more important than the actions that we may have toward each other. Boy, that's important. How do I see you? Do I have that mindset and that heart set to see you as a saint? But you see, sometimes our theology doesn't allow us even to use those words. But who does God say you are? You're a saint. You are a saint. And some of us want to scream, no, not yet. I, Bill, you don't know how screwed up I really am. Stop it. You didn't become a saint because you started sinning less than yesterday. You became a saint by the miracle of a place called Calvary. And you can't change that reality. So let's live out of it. I have another tool for you. I'd like you to uh, get into groups right now. If you could, we're going to hand it out, I think. And uh, it's a very interesting tool. And I'm going to be using it at the luncheon tomorrow as well, but I'll do it there in the context of marriage. The name of this tool is Ask Me Anything. Then we're going to practice a little protection, a little permission tonight.
Excuse me. Okay, it should, you should have a couple pieces of paper. I'll just have you turn to the side that says, Ask Me Anything Sample Worksheet. Looks like this got a bunch of words on it. It's a very simple process. What I'm going to ask you to do tonight is get into groups of five people. And I'm going to ask you to choose one person in that group of five. And what you're going to do is you're going to write five questions. See, these are just five questions. You're going to get to ask that person. Let's say this was our group of five, and we all decided that we were going to choose Ed. So the other four of us would write five questions we want to ask Ed about anything. Give me about anything you want. Just don't ask yes or no answer questions. Do you like football? Well, that's, there's no discussion there. All right. Now, the reason I want you in groups of five is because I know a lot of you are here as husband and wife. And as a husband and wife, we're in a group of five. I'd like you as a husband or a wife, if your husband is chosen wife, don't ask those questions because we're going to do this tomorrow in the marriage time. Okay? Just so in the group of five, choose somebody else and you can all ask it. Here's how this works. You all ask five questions. You all read your questions to the person you've chosen. You just read them. So now that person has, say, 15 to 20 questions that he or she's been asked. Here's how this works. They only have to answer two of them. That's all they have to answer, just two questions. And guess what? They get to choose the two. It's going to cause you to start talking. This is all part of enjoying relationship. If we had time, the next step in Ask Me Anything, and I want you to know this because I'd love you to use this tool, is that same group of five, after everybody had a turn, would ask five new questions. But this time, the five questions would be from the answers to the two questions you would be amazed how quickly we learn each other. So that's what I ask you to do. Please break into groups of five. And then what you're going to do is you're just going to ask, write down five questions, anything you want. But that person only has to answer two, okay? Some of, some of the groups are finished. I want them to go to a second person, and that's okay. But I'd like us all to pause for just a minute. What, what are you hearing? What are you hearing right now? I'm hearing a lot of passion. A lot of passion. Thanks. What else are you hearing right now in your group? Acceptance. Acceptance. Great. What else are you hearing? Interest. People are interested. What else are you hearing? God's intervening. Thank you. Somebody else, what are you hearing? A lot of honesty. Thank you. 
Um, in a very short time, when we are intentional about listening, we can create a safe place. It is an amazing process to watch this little exercise. We've done it in large groups and small groups. In one group, a lady sitting about right here started weeping when I asked the question. And I said to her, why are you weeping? And she said, you know, I never have a place where someone listens to me. A safe place is where I listen to you because I believe you'll listen to me. Keep going. I want you all to finish one round. Some of you have enough time to do a second person. Start on it. We won't go any further than that, and then I'll interrupt you again in about seven or eight minutes. So let's just go ahead. If you, you have to just write down some more questions. You don't need another piece of paper. Just write them on anything. Just choose another person and ask three more questions. Okay, just because of the clock, you, let me interrupt you because I'm going to let you keep going for a little while, but I just let you know it's time for us to end. At 9.15, the artist will be here in the cookie room. We all know where that is now. So at 9.15, please be in there. If you want to take a few extra minutes now to finish so the last person talking can finish, I, I want to just encourage you, imagine using this tool with your adult children and your grandchildren. Imagine using it with your team at church, your leadership team. We have been working with the organization called the Navigators for nine years. And these are the tools that we have been using repeatedly throughout that whole organization. And they would tell you that God is really using this process for them to have the language of grace in the environment of grace. I love to tell this almost silly story. When we first started the mentoring cycles with the navigators, we had, we had four cycles with about 50 leaders in each cycle. And we were in the, B, in the B, the second cycle, and we were teaching these principles, and one of their military leaders for the military ministries stood up and interrupted me, and he looked around the room, and he said, do the navigators know we're doing this? <laughs> And we all laughed, but he was serious. And of course they knew. I just want to encourage you, it sounds simple, but if you could get your key leadership to do Ask Me Anything till everyone had a turn, you would begin to flesh out each other's stories. They're critical 
for your safety. Let me pray with you. Father, we just want to thank you for this wonderful, beautiful day you've given to us. Spirit of God, as we hear these things, we ask you to guide our hearts. Help us to search out. What, if any, of this, God, have you designed for me, for us, for our families, for our churches? Father, may we uh, deeply desire the grace of God. And may we understand how futile it is for us in any respect to try to manage our lives, our sin. Father, we need you. We come to you tonight to admit that. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.